0: you're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally preached during the spring of 2021. Regenerate itself was a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho, serving college students between the years of 2015 and 2023. We hope that you enjoyed this content, and we also want to thank you for your support of our ministry. If you would like to learn more about our home church and about the ministries that it supports, go to rivercitychurch.us. Thank you so much for supporting Regenerate. And as always, remember, we are here to change the world for Jesus, one person at a time.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, redeeming yourself. Yeah, redeeming. Yes. Redeeming. Yeah, yeah, like, what's the definition? When you hear redeem or redemption, what does that mean to you? Being made. Make up up for something. Being made right. Being made right, okay. Anybody ever?
0: Grace.
1: Grace, for sure. Has anybody, okay. There's a certain store chain in town. I won't mention it for copyright reasons, but every year they do a Monopoly game. I guess that's copyrighted, too, so I I don't know. Anyway, they they do a Monopoly game every year, and I remember I would... uh, I used to go like they, since COVID started, it kind of changed everything. But I used to like go there all the time, um, to, just because when, during Monopoly time, it was like a few months, like in the springtime, early summer. Actually, it's right it's right around this time of year. I think we are still doing it. But you, you could buy certain items, and it'd be like a ticket item where you would like. You talking about my So yeah, where you uh, yeah, where you get the little you get the coupons and you get where the you, did you know go there? yeah yeah. And so I used to I would shop there every year around this time. Um, just to get the big ticket items. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to download the app and do the whole thing this year because it's just, just no. It's but over now. <laughs> so we're going to be, yeah, it's over now. Well, anyway, when they do the Monopoly uh, thing, though, I was a sucker for that because you would get these, thing, you'd get these coupons. And I remember going in and I would redeem, right? You'd redeem the coupons for like a, a bunch of stuff. But it was always like something random where it's like you could get these the these little uh, you, you could get like a bag of popsicles for free and three cans of corn and like it was always like the most random crap with like and you could get toilet paper for free, like 50 percent off or whatever and like and um so you gather up all the it was their whole shtick but you gather up all of these items right and then uh you would redeem them right and so to redeem really has this idea of payment now, in this story in Ruth, what we've been talking about is Ruth um, uh, really demonstrating what love looks like. And we've, we've said throughout the series that love looks a lot like loyalty, right? And so you, have, uh, so you have the love of... But what's interesting is as you look throughout the book, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but there's kind of different themes that get woven in each chapter. It's almost like a, like, an act, like, a, uh, like, a, like a play with different acts, right? In act one... You have, you have uh, Ruth and Naomi, and they're returning from the country of Moab. They're going to Israel, and when they get there, they're just like, oh, this is so, like, everything is terrible, you know? But then you see Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, and what you see in that is a reflection of God's character and attributes because he loves unconditionally, right? And so he's unconditionally loyal in the same way that Ruth is loyal to Naomi. Act two, we have Naomi and Boaz, right? And Boaz notices her, and he takes, he takes notice of her working in his field, and he has favor on her. And uh, even though she's a Moabite, she's not one of God's people. He's like, come on in. I will even give you extra grain. I will give you, uh, I'll give you a, a, some roasted grain and uh, some wine to eat with it. And you're like, roasted grain does not sound like a really sensual meal, you know, but it's, that's not the whole point. The point is that he's showing her favor, right? So in chapter one, you see loyalty in chapter two, you see God's favor in chapter three. We had boldness, right? Ruth having the audacity to go to the threshing floor at night. That was about the size of this playground and to say, Hey Boaz, I want you to throw your garment over me. And in so doing, I want you to basically, I want you to basically propose marriage to me. So she's like, kind of like, I want you to marry me. Would you marry me? And uh, in a really interesting and scandalous way, in that culture, she approaches Ruth and does that. So we see we see loyalty, we see um, we see favor, and then we see uh, Ruth's boldness in chapter three. Now we get to see God's love played out in redemption. And I know, and, and it's funny, is because re- redemption is this. When I show up to Albertsons with that little coupon, what I'm saying is I have purchased. This item and what I have in hand requires that I be given the item that I have purchased. And in, in, in Ruth's case, which what we're going to see in this chapter, in the final chapter of the book, is a, uh, uh, we see somebody who is being, we see not just her life being redeemed, but it's actually in the Hebrew culture, it has a lot to do with property ownership. has a lot to do with uh, goods. Because what would happen is if a family lost something, according to Levitic, the book of Leviticus chapter 25, if you lost property, uh, right, then you could have that property redeemed. Uh, if somehow you lost it during, you know, it was a famine and you had to sell off the land. There was no way you could make money on it. Oh, or look in Elimelech's case. Um, he was the one at the beginning of the story, his wife is Naomi, right? And they sell their land so that they, they move to, to Moab. And so when they come back, she has nothing. Allegedly, there's some land that belongs, rightfully belongs to her family. But she's not able to get it. And so now we see redemption is the claiming of that which rightfully belongs to you. See, if that if that is preached to you, I don't know what does. But you can, you can still say amen or be like, oh, yeah, that's good or whatever. If you feel really awkward about it in the middle of a, in the middle of a park. But anyway, yeah. yeah, if you still feel, it, if something speaks to your soul, though, well, you still got to shout something. So I still need a little <laughs> bit of help tonight. Just a little bit, okay? So turn to Ruth chapter 4. And we're going to read it starting in verse 1. And uh, we're going to go all the way through, and then we're going to chop it up a little bit, okay? So, um, I'm calling this chapter Happily Ever After, okay? Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now remember, just before this, um, Naomi had been talking to Ruth. And she says, wait until you learn how the matter turns out. She says, Boaz gave me all this grain. I, I went and I talked with Boaz, and he has agreed. He has given me all this grain and he, as a sign that, I, that he's actually going to follow through on his attempt to marry me, his attempt to, to, uh, uh, to redeem what belongs to my family. And she says, wait until, the man, uh, uh, wait until you hear how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And now comes the climax of the story chapter, Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it, but if you will not, tell me that I may know if there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, uh, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it myself, lest I impair my own inheritance, Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning <laughs> redeeming and shame. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, you buy it, or buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Killian and to Mahlon." also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate uh, the name of the dead and in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Israel. And... Uh, May you look worthily into Froth and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hisron. Hisron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we come before you here in this park uh, to learn from your word and to receive you. Um, God, we, we, don't, we confess that... Um, We don't even understand what the depth of what that word redemption actually means. And so I pray that through the book of Ruth that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, we invite you in to fill our hearts, fill our minds, God. Let my words be your words, God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer, in whom we trust, the everlasting one who is from beginning to end, the Redeemer of all mankind, the lover of our souls, Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. We love you. Amen. So let's talk about this. So now we see God's love played out in redemption, right? So chapter four, um, with, we we see this interesting story finally come to its conclusion, and it's like every romantic comedy that you've ever watched, right? Like so, all the, you're like, oh my gosh, they get together and they have kids, and they get they get married, they have kids. It's so great, right? And, and it really is this very, you know it's this very highly entertaining moment, but but there's this tension, right? You feel the narrative tension building up to it, where Boaz goes up to the gate, and there's this whole like business transaction that happens, and you're like, what? What's going on? Like. Because there's a problem. If you remember in chapter 3, there was a problem that Boaz posed to Ruth. He says, yes, I would love to redeem you. That would be great. That would be fantastic. However, legally, I cannot do that unless this other redeemer who is actually more closely related to you uh, decides not to take the property. Because here's the deal now. This is not so much about Ruth, uh, uh, or about Ruth and Boaz and their blossoming romance, although, although there is some of that, right? There's, there's that affection. There's the lovey-dovey feelies. But a lot of this story is really, it's about property, right? Because remember, when Naomi com- and Ruth come from Moab, they have absolutely nothing. They don't have anything except the clothes on their backs. And so they, uh, I don't even know exactly, we know that they're living in the city, whatever that means. I, I don't know where they've found to live or if they're, or if they're borrowing a place or, or, or if they just constructed a hut somewhere in a street. But, but Naomi and Ruth are not doing well financially. And so, but Naomi has seen the blessing of God in that uh, Boaz has come into Ruth's life. It's like it, almost, it all kind of just so happens, serendipitously happens, right? And then all these things are leading towards this moment where suddenly there's a problem though. In, in, uh, see now Elimelech was Naomi's husband and, she has, and he had two sons well the two of them right, had two sons uh, Malon and Killian and Malon was married to Ruth but Malon died right. and so the thing is nothing belongs to Naomi unless she can buy it back unless something can be redeemed that is to say something which is rightfully hers gets reclaimed redemption is where something is rightfully yours gets reclaimed I'll say it one more time redemption is where something that is rightfully yours gets reclaimed. And so now, in this moment, we learn what God's redemption actually looks like because really what we've realized here, if you read through this story, you realize it's not a book about Ruth at all, even though it's called the book of Ruth. It's not a book about Boaz. It's, it's not a book about romance. It's not a book about property ownership. It's not, it's not a book about ancient Israelite Near Eastern culture. It's not a Neo history book. It's not even, it's, it's a book that's actually about God's plan in the world. It is a book about how God works through what we look, see as normal circumstances. God works through those things to do extraordinary things. And so now what we're seeing is God's redemption at work. God's love looks like redemption. And what is redemption? In this chapter, we see it. That number one, at the gate, we see this scene, right? Scene one, the gate. Redemption is savvy. Redemption is savvy, right? Did you notice this? When chapter four opens, Boaz, he's already got a plan. Boaz has a plan. Did you know that God has a plan? Did you know that God actually has a plan for you since before the foundations of the world? It says in Ephesians 1 that God had a plan. And he is not coming into, the sea, into your life. It's not like God arrives on the scene and goes, oh, on the tw- he just arrived in the 21st century. He's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea all this stuff was going to happen. Like, God is not unaware. God has a plan for you and your life. And so when chapter 4 opens, he already has a plan. Just like God has a plan, and Boaz gathers, I love this, he gathers the elders as witnesses, indicating that an official transaction is taking place. Now in that day and time, all of the business in a local, in a town like Bethlehem would have happened at the gate, right? There, so at the gate is where, why is that? Well, I, there's probably a number of, way, of reasons why this happened. But that's where everybody's going in and going out. So when merchants are coming into the city during the day to sell things, they're going to come through the gate. Uh, when people are going to come in to do transactions of any legal transactions of any kind, they're going to come through the gate. And so it became common practice for the elders of the city—that is, the oldest and wisest and most important leaders in the city—they would gather at the gate. And so Boaz goes to the gate and he says, "Hey," uh, and I love this. He, he said he calls the redeemer of whom it says the redeemer of whom. Uh, Boaz had spoken, and it's funny, um, I love that this is, he's so savvy though, right, because he says, Hey, guess, He gathers the elders, and all these elders, you know, they hobble over and they sit down, and then, and then over, and then, and then here comes uh, this this redeemer who we don't even know his name yet, and I'll get to that in a second. We don't know his name, and uh, Boaz just has him sit down and says, "Hey, sit, sit down, sit down, sit down. Yeah, hey, everybody, we're going let's have a meeting." And they're like, "Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like what's what's going on here?" And he says, "Uh, you guys all know Elimelech, right?" And they're like, "Yes, yes, absolutely." God, oh, go ahead. God, have mercy on his family. It's it's too bad that he passed away. He's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. We all know. So he had he had land here, right? Uh, his wife, Naomi, uh, is selling that parcel of land because she has no other choice, right? She's, she's broke. Uh, so she's selling the parcel of land. Uh, and that's the, that's the problem is because, and he's illustrating the problem with, culture, uh, with what's going on, with the way culture was constructed, it was men who had ownership of land. So Naomi would have no choice but to sell it. She could not keep it for herself. It could not, would not bear her family's name unless a male heir inherited the land. Now ladies are like, that is not fair! I know, okay, it's the, early, it's, it's the olden days, okay? And this is just the way things were done. Um, and so she cannot own the property, she has to release it. So he says, Naomi's selling the land. So I just thought I'd tell you a bit and say, if you wanna buy it, buy it in the pres- in my presence. Why? Well, because I'm the one who, I come after you. So if you decide not to redeem it, then I'm the one, because I should have a shot at this too. And he's like, Okay, fine, it sounds great. I'll redeem it. And then and then there's here's the catch. As soon as the redeemer indicates his desire to redeem the land, Boaz reveals it. Uh, oh, by the way, just small little little thing. If you decide to buy the land, you actually have to marry Ruth. The, what? You know you know, record scratch. You know. Uh, what? Uh, you know, you have to you have to marry Ruth. Who's Ruth? Uh Malin's wife. She's or widow because you know. God rest his soul. He's dead. So you marry. So you marry her. She's a nice girl. I met her. She's she's worked in my field a while. He's like, I, I, and we know nothing about this guy. We don't know if he's already married. We don't know anything about him. Like, so if his if his wife is right there, she's like pitching him, and he's like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, you know, maybe we don't know exactly how the whole thing plays out. But if he acquired the field by redemption as his own, there's a couple of commentators who noted this. If he acquired the field by redemption as his own permanent property he would have increased by so much his own possessions and land. But if he should marry Ruth, the field so redeemed would belong to the son he would beget through her, and he would therefore have parted with the money that he had paid for the redemption merely for the son of Ruth. So the reason he has to marry Ruth is because in order to keep, according to biblical law in Leviticus, in order to keep the land in the family, the job of the redeemer was to provide an heir to the widow in order that it would stay in her family, not his. So he is to marry her so that she can produce an heir and that heir, her son would then acquire the property. So, this is, I love this. Boaz is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He, he essentially tricks the redeemer who only saw an opportunity to gain land. He's like, oh yeah, mo money, mo, And then he's just like, no, no, no. Uh, well, I mean, yes, go for it, but uh, you also have to marry Ruth. You know, what, what? Uh, you have to marry her because, you know, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Not, not yours. It would not be yours. It would be, it would be hers. So if you still want to do that, you know. And at this point, uh, in the same way, I love this, though, because he's savvy. Redempt, God, did you know that God's redemption is savvy? Did you know that God is slightly smarter than you? Did you know that God is slightly smarter than me than all of us combined? Because that's how he works. I love this. Because in the same way, Jesus actually called his followers to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Right? Matthew ten sixteen. Here's a question, do you use the systems of the world to accomplish the mission of God? Do you? I think there's a lot of Christians out there, a lot of people who, who follow Jesus who are just like, oh, the world's so awful and stuff, and so we should kind of live separate from it. We should live a fundamentalist lifestyle where we, we churn our own butter and we homeschool all our kids and stuff like that. I, nothing wrong against nothing wrong with homeschooling. I was homeschooled all the way through high school. But like, when you just want to retreat from culture instead of engaging with it, did you know the systems that are set up in the world can actually be used for the glory of God? That means your edu- the education system, the political system, the medical system, those systems that have been set up by men, God can still weave his redemption through those systems. Amen? See, some Christians are way too gullible, right? But we have to be wise about the ways of the world, insofar as it helps us to do what God has called us to accomplish. Boaz knows the system. He knows it, and he's just like, I'm gonna, he's like, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna trick this, I'm I'm gonna trick this sucker. I'm gonna do it, because I want to marry Ruth. I love this woman. I've come to love this woman, and I'm gonna do what it takes to get her so that she can be my wife. And all the ladies go, Aww. right? They're like, he's, he's gonna do shady legal dealings, right? Uh, so it's so sweet, right? Also, side note, just kind of a funny one. This has nothing to do with anything. It's not even that important, but I think it's just funny that the author of Ruth is very clearly trying to hide the identity of the Redeemer. Like, his name is never spoken, but it's always like, the Redeemer, you know, the one that Boaz talked about, that, that guy. I mean we all know who he was that guy you know like there's this sort of like nudge nudge wink wink like we don't talk about who the redeemer was I don't know why we still don't know the name of the person but we do know that it's kind of embarrassing when you look at the end of the book that he totally missed a huge opportunity <laughs> so like to be part of something that would change the entirety of history but be that as it <laughs> so they probably left his name out or maybe when they came out the first edition he was like uh, could you leave my name out of that story that'd be nice you know I don't know <laughs> You can talk to my lawyer. No. Um, right, so, but redemption is savvy. It's smart. And sometimes Christians just don't live smart. They're gullible. I talk, there's Christians all the time who are getting ripped off by, you know, televangelists going, you need to sow a faith seed of $5,000. No, you don't need to sow sell a, sell, sell a faith seed of $5,000. If you have $5,000, you should be giving it to your local church or investing it in your community or doing something for those in need or giving it to a meaningful charity. Do something wise with what you have, right? Sorry going off on a tangent. But (laughs) the second part is this redemption provides a blessing. And this scene, this is beautiful because he, as soon as he does this, he, he goes through the whole transaction. And it's funny how by the, obviously by the time this was written, people didn't do this anymore because the author feels the need to explain it. Right. You have to take off the sandal. And, uh, what's what I love about this is, um, (laughs) there's actually this huge threat in the book of Leviticus, if you have time, I would highly recommend you read it. In fact, I think it's in Leviticus 25. It might be worth reading because it's just too much. I didn't actually put this in my notes, but I, I, did, I have read it, and it's just a great commandment. Um, he says, "If you're, this is Leviticus 25.25. 25. This is the law that Boaz is going by. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest Redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it and then becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. But if he has not sufficient means to recover it, um, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of jubilee. In the jubilee it shall be released and he shall return to, uh, return it to his property. What I love is this, that there's actually, uh, I, I'm trying to remember, um, Uh, I can't it's it's, uh, evading me I don't remember the actual uh, the actual passage but there is a passage in the Old Old Testament I believe it's in Leviticus where (laughs) if you refuse to redeem property then you like your sandal will be taken off and then uh, it will be taken from you and then you would be given a name in the community and you'd be like, he who had it, who wears no sandal. And you'd be like, ah, oh! like, that's terrifying, right? Uh, it's like, you shall be called the one who wears no sandal. And it's like, ah, like, what does that mean? It means that you are dishonored in the sight of the community. You refuse to redeem your brother's land. Shame on you. You take off the sandal. Now to us, we go, oh, that's really scary. But in that culture, that's absolutely scary. To be threatened with a, with a, with a name of shame for the rest of your life so this, there is some pressure involved here. And so this guy is, he does have to, in redeeming this, in refusing to redeem this land, he has, he's making a mental calculation and saying, I can't redeem it myself. But he's also making a, an ethical calculation or making a, a personal calculation going, if I do this, am I going to be dishonored in the sight of the community, right? But he, So he draws off his sandal and he says, or so Boaz draws off his sandal and says, I am buying this land. Like, this is like the way of like signing. You ever read like the terms and conditions on, you know, on any internet agreement? And it's like 50 pages long. Of course Nobody you don't. Does. Nobody does, right? It's like 50 pages long. And then you, you click on the little box. That's, that's essentially where it is. I click on the box. I accept the terms and conditions. And he says, and by the way, and yes, I like declare this loudly. To everyone in the city square, I am buying Ruth to be my wife. And all of her land will be mine forever. And they're like, yes, verily. You know, and, and so, but what's interesting is then they immediately go into blessing. They're just like, yes, this is, this is fantastic. And, and he had said earlier in the book that all the people knew what kind of person Ruth was. And so they knew about her character. And they're like, this is awesome. Yes, absolutely. You guys should totally get together. And so the people bless, in verses 11 through 12, the people bless Ruth and and Boaz, they say, um, and bless their union and say, May you be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. I love how they start to drift into the prophetic. They start speaking things over them that they don't even have knowledge about, but God has knowledge about. And they just start, as they're blessing Boaz, and they're saying, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, like, as they're beginning to proclaim their desires for Boaz and his home, and as they're saying, this is such a great thing, as they're doing it, it's like they're drifting into God's heart, and they're starting to speak the things that he wants, that he sees, the future that God sees, that they couldn't possibly see themselves. God's going to bless you through this offspring, all that stuff. Right. So then, um, and this is, so a lot of people gathered, gathered at the gate by this point. Because, you know, did you guys know when, God, when people see God doing something in your life, sometimes it can actually... They actually actually want to see it. Like they actually want to see something that's going on. Are you willing to let other people into your life enough so that they can see what God is doing in it? Or do they just see you being another nice person? Do they see a nice person or do they see a transformed person? Like there's no way. This is who I was. This is who I am. Right? I was timid. God made me brave. I was bound up. God made me free. I was selfish. God made me selfless, and it was all because of Jesus. Do people see that in your life? So they speak blessing over Boaz, and blessing is related to their lineage, right? Because Perez, they mentioned Perez, that was Boaz's ancestor. Now, Hebrew culture highly valued offspring. You can read that in Psalm one twenty seven three: "The children are a blessing from the Lord." It was a big deal to them. So what Boaz had won was the highest possible honor, because now they're saying, like, this is like, dude, like Boaz, you are such a good guy. They're just like, you are. May God bless your home. This is going to be a great thing because not only are you going to have offspring of your own, but you are also going to be uh, reclaiming that which belonged to Naomi and that which belonged to Elimelech. May you be honored for this. Did you? God puts you in a position where you are honored because of your humility. He's taking a step down to Mary Ruth, but in so doing, God is actually giving him a step up because God says, humble yourself and you will be exalted. Amen. Somebody ought to, ought to be like, yeah, you yeah. can give snaps right there, you know. Yeah. So, so Boaz and Ruth, they begin their life together. Also, this is verse 13, order is important. First, Boaz marries Ruth. Marriage, number one. Second, Boaz has sex with Ruth with Ruth. Please do not get those mixed up. First comes marriage. Then comes the baby in the baby carriage, right? Thirdly, Ruth conceives and bears a son. And that's that order is very important. Please don't miss this. See, God is the God of order, and those who try to. And uh, I've been doing this for five years, and I've seen a lot of people who have tried to play house. Um, where yeah, yeah, we're living together. Yeah, yeah, we're you know yeah, we've sl- we've slept together. Yeah, we're we're kind of doing life together in some. Or or even I hear this one a lot. Yeah, we're living together, but we're not sleeping together. Okay, yeah, and I'm the Queen of England. Uh, so that's it. Just. It just does, I I don't, first of all, I'm trying not to be cynical, but I'm honestly, I I don't buy it when you say that. Secondly, even if you are just living together with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're getting married and you're doing all the things that a husband and wife do, you're just playing house. You're emotionally allowing yourself permission to engage in those things like doing bills together and, and doing the... I don't know the recycling and all the stupid little things that make up marriage. That ma- marriage is made up of so much normal stuff, you guys. But when you start doing those things together and you're just kind of blending your lives together, you're playing house and you're fooling yourself because you're trying. You're living a covenantal lifestyle when you have no covenant guarding you. So I, I, want, I think the order is extremely important. First, he takes Ruth as his wife. Then he goes into her. You're like, oh, that's a that's a little, that's a little, uh, a little TMI the way they put that, but. And then the Lord gave her conception. And the Lord provides offspring. And then I love this. I love this. So they begin their, their order. What, what's, what's funny is, like, those who are playing house before marriage, they're missing the blessing that God has in store for those who are faithful in this area of life and relationships. I can, I'll be the first to tell you guys I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. But, um. What's up, dudes? What's that guy doing? What are you guys doing? What's all? Did you bring some for me? Yeah. Do you want mine? No. Five bucks. <laughs> Five bucks? You guys are ridiculous, man. You guys are, these guys are nuts. What are you What am I doing? I'm teaching the Bible. What are you doing? Playing basketball? Nice. Good way to spend the day off. Anyway. so there's a bunch of my students over there. So, <laughs> um, anyway, so at this point, this is where we go. Uh, so, where are we at so they just so they just got the start of their life together right and this is this is the thing uh don't miss the blessing that god has in, in store for you when you live, live life that's faithful right and then uh so then the son of ruth and i love this it says they all the ladies are on the name me and they're like
0: oh my gosh you, are so, like, you this is so great you
1: got married yeah my. you know like they're doing like this like you got married you know like that and they're like you, they're, they're excited for her you're like yes this is awesome but also again the same thing happens they start blessing her and then they start speaking life into her they start speaking into the future that they're like God they're getting a prophetic download from the Holy Spirit where they're speaking into the future about something that they don't even know they're like man you know what God um, this blessing that's coming to you is she's they, I love this You can see this moment because they're like, God has not left you, Naomi. Can you believe that Ruth is getting married? Can you believe this? Oh my gosh, it is so great. And then they're just like, you know what? You know what? This kid is going to change your life, Naomi. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, and they say, I don't know why they're all from New York all of a sudden, but like, they're like, absolutely. He's going to change your life. Yeah, he is. And then they start, and then they start, they surround her and they bless her. Ladies, you need your girls, Okay. To some, they surround her, they bless her, and they just start pouring into her. Guys, we need guys in our life, amen. You yeah. need other dudes. You need other dudes to pour life into you and to speak those things that only a guy's going to get. Girls, you need ladies in your life. Where's your squad, right? Where is, where are they the ladies in your up. life? Yeah, they didn't want to come. Get... <laughs> that's okay. I am a cool one, obviously. Right. So that's the thing. Is like, who are those people in your life that are going to surround you, though? It, it, it's it's important right Am I here? Yes. <laughs> yeah morgan yeah yeah there you go so we have so then we have Naomi but then Naomi is she's been struggling with bitterness through the whole story right she's super bitter she's super rough around the edges but then i love this that the kid that Naomi had or that Ruth has this is the thing that finally melts Naomi's heart and you can see, like, as they're surrounding her and they're praying for her, uh, they're, not, they're not praying for her. Praying would be expressing your desires to God. They're expressing God's desires to her. They're prophesying over her. And so as they prophesy they're like, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, and you can start to see the mascara, like the tears are starting to well up, right? And the mascara is starting to run, and she's like, yeah, okay, okay, you know? like, "Like He is gonna take care of you because your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him he is going to he is going to take care not only is he going to take care of you he's going to restore life to you and they're all and then they're all starting to mm-hmm, yes. amen and they're starting to like yeah tell it girl you know and they they're going like they're going for it right they're speaking these words of life and the son of ruth is the blessing that finally melts the heart of naomi the women surround her they bless her and they prophesy and that's simply hearing the voice of god and transmitting it to others simply put you can read more about it in 1 corinthians 12 but their words actually see into the future, predicting how this boy would change Naomi's destiny. His name, Obed, even means "serving one," indicating just how his strength would bring life to her in the latter years of her life. I mean, just imagine how beautiful that is—to know that she she doesn't have a retirement plan, there's no four hundred one k, but that she has this. But this boy, when all hope was lost, they have this boy, and she's going to live. She's going to have a livelihood. Everything is, and it's like the impossible becomes possible. Everything is being restored. To hold that kid, to hold Obed in her arms must have been the biggest blessing that Naomi could have possibly imagined. Then Naomi finally moves. So it, this, is, this is where Naomi finally, she, before this, she had, she had surrendered to God. She had said, okay, you need to Wait. Right? Ruth, you need to wait until the matter turns out until we learn how the matter turns out but it's at this point where she's holding the baby that she moves past surrender and into abiding now she's living securely in God she takes Obed as her own and she finally delights herself in the blessing that God has given her right? do you know what it means to abide in God? see that's, that's the true antidote, antidote to bitterness is abiding in God if you, you want to know and here's the cool thing. See, this will preach. I was reading this going, oh my gosh, she's holding a son. The only thing that is going to break her, the power of bitterness in Naomi's life is holding the son. The way that you abide in God is by delighting in the son that he gave for you. That's it. And that brings us to the final point where redemption creates a legacy. And this is scene three, which is the epilogue. So this is sort of this is the genealogy, right? And it says they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Like, oh my gosh, that's so great, right? And then the credits start rolling and there's some like hit pop song on there. How am I supposed to live without you? You know, like you guys watch the old Disney movies where there's always like the, the credits going up at the end, and then there's there, you know, there's always some like um, some some super cheesy pop song can you feel the love tonight, tonight right <laughs> 1994 lion king og cartoon best ever yes and then, yes <laughs> but then it is. It is. it is it is it is and then we get so then gets oh, into the last part now the last part is this, it shows this genealogy, and you're like, this seems weird and out of place. Like, it seems like the end credits are rolling. And you know, at this point, you're probably, a lot of us are just go, all right, and just close the book of Ruth. But if you're a Hebrew person and you're reading this, you are glued to the page. Because there's a deeper purpose here to show us the purpose of this book. It's a vindication of David's legacy, ancestry. This book was obviously written during or after the time of King David, and it showed the great virtue that was in his family line. It essentially makes King David, who was already the greatest king in Israel's history, even greater in the eyes of Israel, because his grandma was Ruth. Grandma Ruth, right? The father of Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Obed was David's grandpa, his, and he would have told stories. And, and if this is actually following a, a legit son-by-son um, son timeline, which it may or may not, because... A lot of times, Hebrew authors would make uh, would group their genealogies in ways that were easy to rem- to memorize. So they wouldn't include every single name; they might skip generations and such. But if this was the case, that means Grandpa Obed would have told David stories about his grandma Ruth, about his mother Ruth, and how she was the most wonderful mother. And he remembers even your great great grandma Naomi, and like they, he would have told stories about this. And it essentially, in, so they're explaining to you, why is this book written? And this, those, page, those words are right at the end, explain it. Here's why it's written. Because David is the one who is descended from Ruth. And I love this because it defies, it defies the status quo, which says that Moabites wouldn't even be allowed into the people of Israel for four generations. A king could not be descended from a Moabitess. But here's David who's descended from a Moabitess. But what I love about this is there's a deeper purpose. It's not just to show the greatness of King David, but it's to show the greatness of God and the family that would bear his name. There's only one other place in the entire Bible where the name of Ruth is mentioned. Where Ruth is mentioned. Do you know where it is? Where? Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth is, it's the only other place in the entire Bible where Ruth is mentioned, and It matters. Matthew, and I love this, so Matthew d- explains this, and you can turn to Matthew 1 you can see it right there, at the very beginning he says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of, <laughs> he's like the son of David, the son of Abraham the son of God, like he is the, he is descended from the greatest of the greats but I love this, There, are, did you know that there's five women that Matthew includes in his genealogy, Luke has none of them, Matthew includes five though, he, and, and he names, and I lo- listen to this he mentions Tamar who is a product of rape he mentions Rahab who was a Canaanite, right? Boaz was not the first one in his family to marry a Gentile because his great-grandma, his, his grandma Rahab was a Canaanite woman. And then you have Bathsheba who cheated with the king, with King David. And then you have Mary who became pregnant out of wedlock. When you look, read about these five women who are part of Jesus' timeline, it doesn't exactly look like an all-star cast, But that's the great thing about God is that it doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is like. It doesn't matter how good or moral of a person you are. God's salvation and His redemption of your life has nothing to do with that. Ladies, these five women are powerhouses in Scripture. They changed history and they prepared the way for a Messiah to come into the world so that everything could be changed. And not only would Ruth's family be redeemed, not only would certain people be redeemed, not just the nation of Israel, but all of humanity could be redeemed through Jesus just because of how obedient she was. And it has nothing to do with how good you are or how perfect you are. It has everything to do with how good and perfect God is. No matter what your past, no matter what the pain of the present, the redeeming power of God can move mountains. It can can produce a legacy in you that will change the world. It can move mountains. It can save souls. It can heal bodies. It can transform lives. God's redeeming power has no limits to it. See, God values you. And he sees you. Man or woman, he sees you. He knows exactly who you are, and his redemption in you has the power to change a legacy. And if you believe that, you can snap and say amen because amen. God is good. So the gospel in Ruth is clear. See, Ruth Boaz was cunning, absolutely cunning, when he earned the right to marry Ruth. But Jesus was even more cunning because he stole the keys. Not just did he steal families property back, but he sold the keys to death itself, Revelation 1.18. See, the people, they blessed Boaz and then Ruth with prosperity, but Jesus blesses us even further, giving us an inheritance in the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.11. Ruth's family created a legacy that produced a king, but she had no idea that her family would produce the king, Matthew chapter 1. Jesus, centuries after Ruth, died in your place for your sins. You receive him by believing him, just like Naomi received Obed into her arms. You trust him for life that never ends. He will forgive you for everything wrong that you've ever done, and he, will change your, and he will change your life. And all you have to do is surrender to him. Let God break through whatever he has to break through in order to change your life. That is the book of Ruth. That is love is actually. That is <laughs> that is everything. That is loyalty. That is favor That is boldness. That is redemption. That is Jesus. It always has been about Him. It always will be about Him. It will never stop being about Jesus. Don't make your... I know we're leaving. We're going off into the summer. We're going to be doing different things. Don't let your life orbit around anything except the Son of God. Don't let it happen because He is everything. He always has been. He always will be. Let's let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We ask you, God, to redeem us. God, as we, as we talk about this, as we chew it up, and pray that you would give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you for the wonderful redemption of Ruth. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful story of just how kind you are. God, make, your kind, make that kindness real to us tonight as we discuss this. We bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Sam.
0: Yo. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen, changing the world for Jesus one person at a time.